Immediately a man was nailed to the cross, he lost all his rights. And if you ever get nailed to the cross, you'll lose all yours too. We love ourselves so much, and who are we, who are we talking about now? Unbelievers? No. So-called believers who have never understood what it is to take up the cross and put self to death. See, because in the last days there's going to be very little preaching about the cross and death to self-life. It's almost unheard of in most churches today and never heard of in Christian television. And so, when there's no preaching against death on death to self, self is going to flourish in the lives of many Christians. They won't even know that you cannot follow Jesus if you love yourself. I don't ask people if they're saved anymore. Who isn't saved? From the White House to the jailhouse. <clears throat> I look a person in the eye and say, does Christ live in you? I was saved, in, I didn't ask you that. I'm asking you, is Christ, does Christ live in you? Christianity is the only religion in the world where a man's God comes and lives inside of him. Thanks be to God that when I finally acknowledge that I can't do this, it's not possible for me to live the Christian life on my own. I, I'm not called to chart my own course. I'm not called to create my own destiny and ask God to bless it. I'm called to follow Him. I'm called to give up the rights to my life and walk with a holy Savior. I'm called to let His mind be formed in me his life become my life. His ways become my ways. His purpose become my purpose. His plan become my plan. And then the power of God will come upon me. And are you ready for the power of God to come on you as brother? Uh, Carter Conlon is his name. The guy at the end there. He uh, pastors the church. Times Square Church in New York City, the uh, guy that took over for David Wilkerson. And he says a mouthful there, I'm not called to follow myself. I'm not called to do my own will. I'm called to do his will and follow him. And I know I have trouble myself. I stumble around and I make mistakes and I do stuff that I'm not supposed to do. But you know, you you confess that. You you don't shy away from confessing your sins to God. You know, the uh, Catholics believe in a priest. They have to go and confess to. They have to, but our Bible tells us very plainly, there is one mediator between man and God, the man Jesus Christ, and that's where we need to stand fast, hold on, and understand. We don't need to add any new things in. Just do the will of God. And we'll discuss that in a while. I'm going to play a song right now because that's kind of my thing lately. And I, I think it's okay. If it's not, you'll let me know, please. This is called If You Don't Love God, You Don't Love Your Neighbor or something like that. Let me read that again. <laughs> you Don't Love God If You Don't Love Your Neighbor. It's by Rhonda Vincent. It's a pretty good little song. I like it. <laughs>
say they're Christians and they live like Christians on the Sabbath day. But come Monday morning till the coming Sunday, they will fight their neighbor all along the way. Oh, if you don't love God, if you don't love your neighbor, if you gossip about him, if you never have mercy, if he gets into trouble and you don't try to help him, then you don't love your neighbor and you don't love There's a special warning in the 35th verse. Oh, you don't love God. If you don't love your neighbor, if you gossip about him, if you never have mercy, if he gets into trouble and you don't try to help him, then you don't love your neighbor and you don't love If he gets into trouble and you don't try to help him, then you don't love your neighbor and you don't love God. Oh, you don't love God. If you don't love your neighbor, if you gossip about him, if you never have mercy, if he gets into trouble and you don't try to help him, then you don't love your neighbor and you don't love God. some good stuff right there and we can live by it if we try um there's a lot of relationships that we run into as we go through life that that's that try our patience try our our christian patience let's even go with that and we all have problems because people are people and uh it's uh, it's it is actually up to us as, as hard as it may be, those of us that know the Lord or that are trying to walk on the path that he has provided, it is difficult sometimes for us to maintain that love for your neighbor. And, you know, if you, if, uh, when they ask Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? He says, basically everybody, basically everybody, you are his hands and feet. You are his eyes. You are his mouth at this point in time, Christian. And it is our job to go out and, you know, embrace the ones that are hard to embrace. Love the unlovable, as it, as I heard one guy put it. You know, because we're not supposed to treat them like lepers. 
Now, they may treat us badly. We may not get the uh, uh, respect that we feel we are due, but that's just life. You know, folks are folks, man. They're hard to they're hard to figure sometimes. They can be your best friend, your best relative, and the next thing you know, you got a knife sticking in your back. But you know, you can pull the knife out, throw it away. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. This segment that we're going in today, First Peter chapter four. We're starting on four. We're we'll, we're going to wrap First Peter up here pretty quick, and then go from wherever God leads us. And this, this, this type of teaching, like I said before, is what we call expository. It's where you take, you know, either complete chapters or complete books and just tear them apart piece by piece. And it's tearing apart in a good way. You know, we're not like vicious beasts that are tearing into the Scripture to see what we can find wrong. We go through them bit by bit. Line upon line, precept upon precept. I use, as you may have heard me say before, I have a paper Bible next to me. I have a little bit of trouble holding it, reading it. I have also in front of me uh, blueletterbible.org opened up to First Peter 4. I have all the stuff that they add on there. I have my notes that I've written. Uh, I hide nothing from you. I don't. Okay, and I know you don't have a video of me anywhere. So if it sounds like wow, he really knows the scriptures. I, I know what I know, but these guys help me out immensely. I would be, I'd be a stuttering boob without the electronic health help health help that I have. Now, you know that's not to be knocking myself down or building myself up. I I just. I believe that we all have the tools at hand. And if we use them and use them correctly and in the right way, we can all learn together. And we need to these days. The more you can learn, the better off you'll be. Always learning. Always learning and coming more into the knowledge of the things of God. Now, there are people, it says in Second Timothy chapter 3, that are always learning and never coming to the knowledge of God. We don't want that. We want to be those that learn and keep going in the way that God wants us to go. This first Peter, this, this book of First Peter, is full of things. It's almost proverbial in a way very much prophetic but that when i say proverbial there's a lot verse to verse you know you can have sometimes chunks of scripture three or four verses full that uh fit a narrative and then you go into another section or they cut the chapter where whatever the case may be but it's this is one of those that you go one one verse to the next with another hard-hitting bit that God has laid at our feet. So let's go ahead and get started. First Peter chapter four, verse one, for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind for he hath suffered. He that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased 
from sin. When you break that down, you know, we think about the suffering of the cross, and I've, I've brought this up before, I'm pretty sure. You know, the entirety of the life of Jesus had a significant amount of personal human suffering to it. You have, you have the man, Jesus, who also is the divine man, Jesus, or the God-man. He came out of glory. If you read into the scriptures, and there's, there's different ways that people look at things like even the first line of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You know, uh, Elohim is the Hebrew word there for God. Uh, when you have a Hebrew word, I will say almost always, that ends in I am, which gives it that him or im, cherubim, seraphim, seraphim. Elohim, it denotes a plurality. Now, that doesn't mean that we have many gods. We know the facts. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. That one, Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, stepped out of that perfect position in heaven to come to earth, live in the backwater of the world, grow up in a place called Nazareth, which, you know, to this day isn't really much much more than a, a tourist trap for those that want to go and walk in the ways of, or walk in the footsteps of Jesus. I mean, they don't produce massive amounts of technical products or anything like that. It's just a regular old town probably based more on fishing with the uh, Great Lake of Galilee there. Sea of Galilee, the Lake Gennesaret, it's called different things in Scripture. But you know what I'm talking about. He grew up there. It's a rough place in a rough time. Think about it. We, you know, This is a man who was a carpenter. His father was a carpenter, is what they say, or a man who worked with his hands. Uh, some say he was a, uh, he worked with stone. So it, you, you take it for whatever you want. The Greek word is tekton which denotes a man who either, you know, worked with his hands in some kind of a craft. And we, we see carpenter. Isn't he the carpenter's son? So we'll just go with that. He didn't have a skill saw. He didn't have chisels that he bought at Home Depot and a hammer. They made this, they made this stuff by hand. They, they formed the furniture or whatever they were building. I mean, it was done by hand. They had a saw that was made by hand. All, all things they had were formed by their own hands. They didn't have Chinese uh, industries pumping out thousands of the things that they needed, millions even. They dealt with what they could create on their own or make, I would be a better word, make on their own. We don't have that knowledge anymore. There's hardly anybody out there anymore that plants a garden. It's easier to go to Walmart and pick up what you need. So, you know, or whatever your favorite store is for buying food and fruit. We don't grow anything. We don't, we, you know, we've become slack and lazy. He grew up at a time where you didn't have that opportunity. You worked and you worked hard. 
until he turned 33 and he became the rabbi that 12 specific men followed him around for the next three years until he was killed by a Roman cross after a beating. So when we read Christ hath suffered for us, he suffered in leaving heaven, as we'll call it, stepping in from that eternity into this time-constrainted era at a rough time under a rough rule, horrific rule, governmentally-wise, more than we could ever imagine. And he lived in, you know, relative poor. I mean, he said at one point in time he has foxes and and, uh, birds have nests. Uh, The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He He was homeless, even. So he depended upon his Father, God, to supply him everything, and he did. But it was still an existence that most of us wouldn't last a week in. So he suffered all that, and then, of course, suffered the his death on the cross and the uh, turning away of his father from him because of the sin, that our sin, our sin, which was laid upon him who did nothing. Can you imagine the suffering? He suffered all that for what? It says in verse 1, I hope you have your Bible open. He suffered for us in the flesh. Therefore, he says, and I added therefore, there's a comma after flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. The same mind what? The same mind that Christ had. That's what we're called to do. And when you look at that, there are several places where the, there's the talk of the mind uh, Paul in Paul's writings. You know, uh, in Galatians, he talks about it. Colossians, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. You know, it's just so much that we can connect together with these things that we, when we read them, um, and that's why I love the Bible. I love to talk to you about them, about the Bible. Paul said in Romans 13, put yourself or put ye on Lord Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He put up with the sin being laid upon him. He put up with the death on the cross so that we would be able to have eternal life with him by the acceptance of him, his death, his resurrection, and his deity. There are denominations, I will call them, or cults in a better word, that believe not in the deity of Christ. They replace him with 
Jehovah's Witnesses. They're, they believe in Jesus. You can talk to them. But see, that's the thing. When we talk to people and we say Jesus, oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah, I know him. They know that name, but they don't really revere him for whom he is. Now, I want to break a few things down. He says, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Arm is a, that's a term I I like to say is almost like a battle term. You know, a soldier goes to, to war. They don't go with an, with empty hands. They are armed with something, some kind of a weapon. Christians likewise should never go to fight with empty heads. I'm going to repeat that. Christians should never go to fight with empty heads. Now, who do we fight? We don't fight each other. We're not supposed to. This whole chapter is about fervent love one for another and love for God. Therefore, again, people are people. They're going to tweak you every once in a while and get you spinning off. And it could go on for years, these, these things. And you can have them within the church or outside of it. Outside of it, you expect it. Inside or those that say they are Christians, it makes it harder. And then it makes you question yourself. Never do that. You're human. You will fall for some certain things that people will say or do. Search the scriptures to see if these things are true, Berean or Christian, as it should be. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. That's not us. We will have sin invade us. We will commit them. We will have problems for all of our lives trying to stay away from things that suck us in. Here's verse 2. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. And, you know, oftentimes we see or hear, because it's easy for preachers to say, do the will of God. And then you're, you're, you're like, well, nobody's really tried to explain it to me. Have the mind of Christ again. That's another one. You know, we go roll back up towards verse one and you know, you run into it over and over again. Having the mind of Christ read and see how Christ was, how he acted. We're supposed to act the same. We're not supposed to lust after every little thing, the little trinket and every other devilish thing that gets thrown in our path. Sorry. There's actually, uh, I'm back on verse one, sorry. There's actually two, two uh, different ways that the word mind, as it's used in, that word where it says arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. I put this in my notes because it's significant. 
And there's two different ways that mind is two different Greek words used. Paul used one, Peter used the other, that kind of make it, you know, that Peter and Paul were on the same track, but kind of using their own terminology. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That, my friends, is the one way that this Greek word is used, and it's only used twice in the entirety of the New Testament. The other one was verse 1 of chapter 4 of Peter, where he says that likewise with the same mind we are to arm ourselves. So it can be thought of as the intent of the heart. I hear a lot of people over the, I've read, I've heard, oh, follow your heart. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is a dangerous concept. We're not told to follow our hearts. Our hearts are wicked, it says, above all things. It's desperately wicked is what it says in Jeremiah. So don't follow your heart. Follow the word. Follow God. The intents, intents is what it said in Hebrews 4 and 12 of the heart. You know, God's will is, I'm going to go ahead and explain. It's a little further into my notes, but I want to make sure that we're going to cover as much as we can today. What is God's will? My, in my estimation, it goes clear back to Genesis. And my wife and I were discussing this at earlier yesterday and a little bit today about how much we really both love the book of Genesis. And it's not touched by the Bible or by the, by the Bible, by the preachers out there too much anymore in depthly because they look at it as that's history. We don't need it. And then of course they get the revelation that's future. And it's not about us because we're going to be gone in a rapture. So that's, it's not for us. It's for somebody else. And it is wrong. Both of those books are the bookends of the Bible. They're important. Everything that comes between has something to do with either Genesis or Revelation or both. God's will. Live in the will of God. Now, this is actually in verse 2. I believe that you can encompass most of it in the original plan for man in the Garden of Eden, being in obedience to God and at peace with God. When man fell, he went to war with God, basically. He decided to listen to the devil. Let's just say it the way it is, because that's the way it is. It says the serpent. You know, and there's there's tons of things that you can read and listen to and watch videos about the the serpent in the in the in the uh, garden or the nakash in in, in uh, uh, Hebrew, um, but it's in the weeds when you really get into it. To do here, let's read verse two. I'm sorry, 
first Peter four two that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of man, but to the will of God. Now even Jesus, he was tempted constantly, I believe, not just the one time uh when the devil took him or well actually it was the spirit of god that drove him into the wilderness and then the devil came after 40 days and started tempting him. you know turn these into stone jump off the temple these are all the the things of the world the cities and everything and i i can give it to you and jesus said don't tempt the lord your god and the devil left him but i do believe throughout his life the devil had to keep coming back he couldn't give up. He had to try to knock this rabbi, this this uh, s- supposed son of God. Because that's a, you notice if he asked him in the uh, Ma- Matthew chapter four in the uh, narrative of the uh, temptation of Christ, if thou be the son of God, do this. If thou be the son of God, you know, if big word, and of course he is, and he just took the devil to task with the word of God. That's an example for us all. When we are tempted, when we are hit in the face with people who maybe feel you wrong them, so they're going to wrong you or whatever the case may be, you just look at it and say, I'm a son of God, not the son as Jesus, but once you've come into the uh, saving knowledge, and you've come into the redemptive actions of salvation to Jesus, to God, you are made sons of God. You are, you are adopted in, and we need to act like it. So hard it is to do. And there are going to be those that you can't break. You know, they, they just, they're going to be the way they are, and you just, you, you just let them go. Deal with what you got to deal with. But we are not called to live the rest of our time in the flesh. I'm sorry. Not to live the rest of our time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but, comma, but to the will of God. We need to try to get ourselves back to the original plan that God set up. Don't eat the forbidden fruit when it's presented to you. And it's presented in so many different ways. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the three things that uh, the serpent hit Eve with. It's good to look at, isn't it? Uh, And it tastes good. And you know what? It'll make you like God. You'll be gods yourself not knowing that they already had pretty much a God quality. They were not, of course, God, but they had that quality. They had that that sinless nature at that point in time, and they used their free will to follow the snake. I hate snakes to this day. Romans 14 Seven, for none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. 
Wow, that's a pretty intense little piece of scripture that goes along with living the will of God. You're living to the will of God. Again, trying to realize what God created man for in the first place. And then there was the fall, and for the next nearly 4,000 years, that fall was enacted and did its best to wipe us completely out. And then God sent Jesus. Romans talks about the first Adam and the last Adam. First Adam was, of course, Adam, Adam of Adam and Eve. The last Adam was Jesus. He reset the fall. He brought one, the one sacrifice, which was himself, for our redemption. So, once we become Christians, none of us are actually living for ourselves. We are now supposed to be living for God. Ephesians 4.23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's a lot of that mind stuff. A lot of that mind stuff to get us into the right way of thinking. In, in the Old Testament, there were so many laws, right? You had to eat this, not eat that. You could wear this, wear not that. You, could, you know, didn't know all that stuff. It went on and on. Follow what I tell you. Six days you'll work, seventh day you'll rest. Uh, God did that with this specific group of small, a small group of people called the Israelites, or as we call them now, the Israelis, or Jews. And they, they, they were the ones he picked. And he did this to get them in a mindset of doing his will, following his law, so that, you know, when they followed it, things worked out for them. When they did not follow it, well, they went into captivity at some points in their lives because they went so many years not wanting to listen to God. Oh, no sense doing that. And they paid the price. In Christianity, there's not a lot that gets laid upon you except to follow Jesus, deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow him daily. It's close enough for government work. Take your cross daily and follow him. And, you know, when you say follow him, what's it mean? Well, it means, you know, be in prayer, as Paul tells us all the time. Pray without ceasing. You know, uh, be in, in, in your Bible study. Don't, don't shun the people who try to bring you the real Bible. Fellowship together, however it takes to do so. You know, we're coming up, this is the 18th of, of uh, Turkey Month, was it, November, and next week we do have Thanksgiving where people have a huge opportunity gathering together in families to have a meal, which is the big part of Thanksgiving these days, but also to be thankful. And what are we thankful for? 
Now, if you listen to people, they're thankful for their family. They're thankful for this. They're thankful I got this. I got a house. Or you know, be thankful for God. Be thankful for what He has done for you in your life, spiritually lifting you out of the 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 uh, pallor of hell and death. Yes, this body will die someday, but when it goes, as Paul says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. To die, he said, is to gain because he gets to go be with Jesus. The, the one that he met on Damascus Road. You had a Damascus Road experience, every one of you, I hope, at one point in time that gives you the opportunity to think way outside of this world because without that Damascus Road experience that you had, which is called salvation, where you truly decided that Christ was who you wanted to be with, to follow. You know, when people talk about heaven, as they call it, it's always, oh, I'm going to see this one and that one. And You better be looking forward to seeing Jesus Christ. He did everything for you, or you wouldn't even be there. You'd go to hell. I, I get so tired of the rhetoric of how we sell heaven to people by scaring them out of hell. I want to sell heaven to you today by telling you that Jesus is the reason that you're going to be in your eternal destination. And that's either heaven or hell. If you refuse him now, you will not get a chance later when you die, so to speak, to change your mind. Once we leave this life, it's over. It's not hard. See, they, the Jews you know, had a hard way to go. They had to follow 613 commandments. Ten of them weren't enough. They wanted more. So God just, okay. <laughs> He's good at opening the floodgates when you ask for it. And they had to follow those things. And, and then they, there were men appointed to them called Levites or, or whatever to watch over and do the sacrifices and keep an eye on the people and, and bring them the word of God and the law. Ezra stood before them on a platform uh, as they re- were rebuilding Jerusalem and the temple and read the law to the people, and they stood and listened. Today, you couldn't get people to stand and listen to the Bible. If somebody said, I'm going to break open the Bible and we're going to read the Bible, they would just, uh, after 15 minutes, they'd be done and ready to leave. But these people had a mindset, and they just came out of Babylonian captivity, so they were ready to hear what God's word had to say from a man who knew what he was talking about. He was a priest, a Levitical priest. The will of God. The will of God. Do the will of God. Does that mean, oh, I can't have any fun? Let me just be picky about it. I can't stand to hear the cursing of God's name. I I really, I hate it. It disturbs me. I'm, I'm really getting tired of the queer stuff too, the transgender this and whatever. I, I, this, this TV shows where they want to stuff it down my throat don't spend much time in our room, in our living room anymore. It seems to be the new thing. Let's go to verse 3. 
for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Uh, Verse 4, I'll just read it to wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of not speaking evil of you. Who shall give account to him, capital H, him, that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Now, it's talking about Christians walking in the will of God from verse 2 into verse 3, that, you know, when we, when we were in the world, as it says, or in this case he uses Gentiles, you know, when you were an unsaved, unclean, unwashed reprobate, and people say, well, I wasn't that bad before I got saved. Well, you were because you weren't on track with God. Now, you, you, that doesn't mean you can't do good things, be good to your grandkids and all that other stuff that goes with it, or maybe you didn't even cuss. You know, you you kept clean, but you were doing it on your own, not with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, and the Bible and prayer and all the other things that come with. He says, when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatry. And what does all that mean? Uh, lasciviousness is the big one in there when you read it. Uh, unbridled. It's unbridled lust. Uncontrolled craving for sinful behavior. That's what lasciviousness means. And people will get, oh, I didn't do that. Well, you don't know if you did it or not. You could do, when you don't have Christ living within you, when you don't have the Holy Spirit to guide you, you really don't understand just how much you may have craved for something. Maybe it was that guy across the street or that girl across the street. Maybe it was the next drink that you get to take or the next smoke the dope or smoke a cigarette or whatever lasciviousness it may have been. It doesn't have to be some horrible, disgusting thing, but it's the whole idea that you had in your mind, I want to do this thing because it's my thing, and I crave it. I want it. Now, you know, to a certain degree, maybe a lot of people don't fall into that uh, ridiculousness of, you know, uh, craving something that is so pulling at them. But the Bible says you were. <laughs> I'm sorry. Lust, of course, we know that. Lust can be for anything. It's not always about sex. It really isn't. Lusts, it says. Not just lust. It says lusts, which is you, again, I have to have this. It's covetousness. It's wanting. It's you know, Maybe you see something that somebody else has and you want it. That's a thing that goes on in our big cities today. These, these punks are running the streets, grabbing what they want, punching people and stealing their wallets. I want your money. I, I am entitled to it. Therefore, I'm taking it. That's a lust. 
And then, you know, you can fill in the blanks on the rest. Excess of wine or beer or whiskey or any other strong drink to the point where you are no longer sober. Revelings. I don't think I wrote that one down. Yeah, you can kind of get the idea where you just think, well, I got to do what I got to do because I want to do it. You know, the King James Bible uses a lot of stuff, a lot of different terminology that uh, we don't use today. I don't, I don't go around and say, he's reveling, you know, but whatever. Uh, banqueting, lots of eating. You know, the, the, the most important thing in your life is what the next thing that the uh, the chef on the TV is going to make, and you're going to have this big banquet. I, we talk about that now as, as Thanksgiving comes at us. But, you know, it's not all about that either. We'll just take a quick, quick, quick little peek at banqueting. You know, because the Greek and English don't always work together in perfect harmony. You know, the, uh, the translators did the best they could, and I believe they had divine intervention in doing what they did and the greek word is potas and it's only used this one time in the in the entirety of the new testament potas that's a greek word i just throw that at you so you know and it says drinking and carousing so banqueting can actually be brought into hey you know we know what carousing is and you know most of the people listening to me are old enough to we may even use that. He's carousing around again. You know, he's always carousing, running after this or running after that. Or she, even. It can be, a, I said he, I'm being so sexist today. But the thing of it is, is, you know, uh, banqueting. be eating too much, but it also is drinking too much and then running after everything that has two legs. There are there are people now. He's talking when 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 Peter is writing this. He's talking about what we came out of before we got saved. And believe me, this you need to really revisit yourself. Paul says, "Examine yourself to see if you be in the faith." I believe that's in First Corinthians eleven. Don't quote me, uh, but he does say that to examine yourself, to see if you be in the faith. You know, we need to do that all the time. Because these things that they list, you know, fornication, adultery, lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, you know, Paul wrote over and over about it. He's saying, such things you did before. You're not supposed to be doing them now. There shouldn't be this rampant divorce rate that goes on because, well, I'm tired of her. She's tired of me, whatever. And it's done. There's a lack somewhere in there of a living a life in the will of God. Now I'm not painting every divorcee as a, as a, you know, rank center or nothing. It's just, you know, we need to revisit these things. We need to see what is really going on. What is the what is the down when the family falls apart, the country falls apart. Look around you. And verse four, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking an evil of you. 
So, you know, the people that are out there that we had for friends at one point, and you'll run into this at once you become a, a truly born again, Christian, when you, when you try to talk to your old friends, they won't even give you the time of day and you just, well, that's the way it is. Or they try to talk you out of your time of, of your belief, your faith. They try to talk you out of, oh, you don't want to be all that church stuff. You know, blah, blah. I tried. It didn't work or whatever. And then, you know, behind your back, they're going to say, oh, yeah, he thinks he's better than me. You know, he thinks this, he's that. You know, you should have known how he lived before. I can tell you some stories, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's, they always, like, throw your past at you. I tell people, that, that, that guy's dead. That guy's dead. He took on Christ. He still makes mistakes. He still says stuff he ain't supposed to say. But the guy that he was before is dead. Verse 5, who shall give an account? Now he's talking again. Hey, you don't don't want to be one of these Gentiles or unsaved, unwashed, unclean. Who shall give an account to him, capital H it should be, that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. We're all going to see judgment someday. Those of us who go before the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat, the mercy seat, will receive mercy when we do deserve judgment but we have taken on the blood of Christ. We've taken on a life that we try to live for Christ. And when we come before him, our things we did in this life, this, the body, it says, will be weighed out. Wood, hay, stubble will be burnt to a crisp. The things that you did solidly for the Lord Jesus Christ are the precious stones, gold and silver, tried in the fire. Verse number six, for this cause was the gospel preached unto them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. A really hard, you know, trying to wrap your mind around that, that they were preached to those that are dead. There's a lot of different things that we can go down rabbit trails on with this one because there's, and I believe that the one uh, that, you know, in verse, uh, first Peter three nineteen he said, by which also he, Jesus went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now that's kind of a, you know, what's that mean? We talked about it already. There were those spirits antediluvian, which means in the time before Noah and his ark. Didn't have the plan of redemption laid before them. And Jesus went and spoke to them. Now, in in the Wycliffe Bible commentary, it talks about those particular people that were given a chance even after they had died many thousands of years before to redeem now, I don't know that one. That's a new one on me. I sometimes think that Jesus went and preached to those uh, Nephilim spirits or whatever in prison, it says, that uh, let them know what they missed out on. <laughs> That's Tom's brief synopsis. You can find different places in the Bible where this is referenced in, in the book of Jude, it talks about 
uh, such things. First Peter is one of the main places where you see this talking of preaching to spirits in prison, leading the captives free. Now, the Wycliffe Bible commentary that I have here by my desk, it's a big book, a beautiful book. Uh, it just says that, you know, that there were many that he's preached to and they were given the opportunity and therefore they were released if they wished and wanted to follow him. I would like to think that was true, that that was what that means. I really don't have anything to back it up completely other than that commentary. And I don't want to confuse you with it. You know, this is something that it would take a lot. We'd, we'd have to spend days upon days to decipher this preaching to spirits in prison. That's <laughs> a oh, really deep one. But it's there, and perhaps one day when we get through First Peter, we'll revisit it and go into the entirety of what happened at the time of Jesus in the crucifixion when he went into the tomb for three days you know the body was in the tomb the spirit of the of the of the uh, lord jesus went and did the things again that god had planned verse 7 but the the end of all things is at hand be ye therefore sober watch sober and watch unto prayer And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Let's replace the word charity to make it easier to understand. It's not a girl's name, and it's not giving alms to the poor. It is love. Above all things, have fervent love among yourselves, for charity or love shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality to another, one another without grudging. In verse number 10, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, this whole little section is all about loving one another. This whole section is, you know, you have, you have brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 7, we could park on for a week, but we're just going to talk about it quickly right now because we, we will, in the very... In the very near future, we'll, and constantly I, I, I come to the talking of the end of all things or the end times, as it says in other places. Peter says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. There's a semicolon that goes into verse number eight after that. Now, let's just talk about it real quick. Peter's telling them, hey, the end is near. I have friends. One particular is always saying, well, oh, man, you got to know the end is close. We're close to the end. And I'm like, well, well, yeah, but I have a different idea of the end that, that when we go through the end, we need to really be open in what's going on around us, sober and watching. Uh, 
And then that soberness, which is both sober in mind and really sober in not getting drunk. Because if you're loaded, you're not watching. You're pretty much you're pretty much keeling over to the lusts of the flesh. So please stay sober. Stay away from the wine, the whiskey, the beer. I would say abstain it. I have no need for it. I, I, and my thing is, I don't, uh, you know, I see a commercial every while. Well, it looks pretty good, you know, but I, uh, especially Guinness. I used to love that dark beer. But the thing of it is, is I look at it now and it's like, I cannot put my money in their pockets. I can't help further them. And, you know, I wasn't what you would call an alcoholic, but I loved to drink. And if I fell back into it, I'd fall back into it probably just as hard. And I don't want to be that way. That's just one of the many things to to stay away from. That's that's sobriety. And being sober in mind as well as you know, not polluting your mind with the things of the world or setting up these idols in your life you know, and that could be anything, your car, your house, your job, your kids, your grandkids, on and on, or even, oh, I got a better garden than you do. I work so much harder at all that stuff, you know. Or I'll tell you what, some people can make God's word an idol. Now, that doesn't sound feasible, but it is very possible. And when you use it like, you know, uh, if I miss a day of reading for a specific amount of time, you know, my life will spin out of control. That's not true. Spend your time in Bible study, Bible reading, and prayer is never a bad idea. But then the thing about it is, did it get into you or did you just get into it? Tricky question. Did you just get into the Bible, or did the Bible get into you? I better write that down. That's pretty poignant. But you know that you got, you, now you know what I mean as we draw close to an end today. But the end of things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. The end of the, as we, every, every minute that goes by, you're one minute closer to the next stage that Christ or God has in, in store for us us here on planet earth some believe it's a pre-tribulational rapture some of us believe that it is a post-tribulation that we will see tribulation that we will see antichrist that we will see harsh harsher times and i'm seeing them now we have a big deal going on with some guy in the cryptocurrency thing that could wreck currency worldwide I believe it was a setup. I don't talk about that stuff too much because I'm not a financial wizard, but I have a buddy of mine, Mike, that you've all have heard from, who keeps me tuned into a lot of these things. But the thing of it is, is we, we are in the end of all things. With fervent heat, all things will be melted But remember this, verse number eight. Above all things, have fervent love 
among yourselves, for love shall cover the multitude of sins. And that is something very interesting and very necessary in the church, which I think is lacking in a lot of churches. There's that old saying that people used to say, the coldest place you can come to is is the pew of a church. We're going to end there today and pick up very soon, maybe even tomorrow. depends on what I got going on. I'm trying to get more of this done. I want to get through First Peter and get into some new stuff for you. But I really do enjoy the time we're spending here because I think I'm learning stuff and I'm having God open my eyes as we go along as well. I hope he does for you too. This is Tom Richards with the Removing Confusion Podcast. Until next time. Go with God. I'm washed.